Welcome to The Gap, where it's our mission to bridge the gap between javelin and baseball training styles. I'm Bret Hart, founder of Hitman Performance, head training conditioning coach at Grind Athlete Performance, and ex-collegiate baseball player turned powerlifter. And I'm Dan Labadia, javelin coach at Southern Connecticut State University and the man behind Jack Javelin. Hope you guys enjoy the show. We made it through one season. He did make it through a season. <laughs> Had a change of scenery in the room probably like three or four times throughout the <laughs> season. So we're just glad to be here. Uh, we got our first virtual guests on the podcast tonight. Mike and Kevin, you guys want to introduce yourselves? Yes, yeah, sir. Mike, you want to go first, man? Yeah. So I'm Mike Stein. I'm a javelin thrower at University of Iowa. I've thrown over 75 meters and uh, I'm a sophomore. And yeah, I, I run the page Mike Stein Throwing on Instagram. And I am also trained by Kevin, Javelin Anatomy. So I'll hand it off to you. Yeah, what's up? I'm Kevin Foster. I'm the head coach and uh, just the guy behind Javelin Anatomy Instagram. Um, I've been running the page for five years now. I've been coaching Mike, um, just a bunch of other guys from my coaching program, uh, Javelin Academy. So excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. Yeah, hyped to have you guys on here, especially over the over the Zoom. Finally got it figured out, connected to the TV, and you guys can hear us and we can hear you. So <laughs> we're already off to a good start. So yes, sir. you want to start with a question or you want me to go? I'll start it off. I think, um, Mike, so... You know, I bought your program, and you said that I get a free technical analysis breakdown, okay? So, so I'm going to put you on the spot here, all right? Okay. I'm going to send you a video from this fall, and I want you to break it down for the audience, all right? You, you could tell them, be as blunt, or you could be as rude or nice to me as possible, whatever you want. Let me find a good one. <laughs> All right, I'm sending it over now. Now I want you to take a look what I, what I should improve on here. All right. So for those of you guys that don't know, Mike just released uh, a training guide. What is it, like 75 pages? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's like 75 pages. Basically everything you need to know about how to become a um, an elite javelin thrower and kind of his process behind it. And... Um, just like really his his take on really everything. Um, you know, you could talk a little bit about it if you want, Mike. What what exactly what exactly is your two minute summary of the training guide? So the training guide will kind of show you the process I took to like train consistently for javelin. I think the number one thing that people miss is like they have the work ethic, but they're not really sure how to apply it, especially towards javelin. So when I was getting into the sport, like I was like, I need a program just to execute and get better. And the, the training guide is going to have like 10 plus throwing workouts and uh, eight plus approach workouts. It'll show you how to run and how to lift, how to do mobility. And it'll, this all encompassing a holistic javelin program. And it's going to show you how to start training consistently and seriously and show you exactly what you need to do. And it will be tailored towards your needs. So I'll put you kind of uh, in a group or a technical archetype. Are you a speed thrower, power thrower, technical thrower? And then the programming will be based on what type of thrower you are. Wow, that's that's really cool. I, I really like too that, I think what's awesome is that, you know, you, me, Kevin, like we've all kind of known each other for like a couple of years now, but it's like, 
now we're kind of starting to break down into like, yeah, we have the javelin thrower niche, but it's like, you know, Kevin's got like the mobility and now you kind of got this like whole lifestyle approach to training. And then mine is like strength and nutrition. So I think that's like really cool. It's like, you know, buy all of our programs and you should be the best javelin thrower in the country. hundred <laughs> percent, man. I mean, it's all encompassing, you know, you need the lifestyle, you need to get jacked, you need to be mobile. It's, it's all things, you know, you have to be, it's all encompassing. As I said, I got that, I got that video. If you want me to do. The- yeah. Yeah. Dude, let's do the breakdown. All right. So I actually kind of like your crossovers, you know, it's kind of got that, seven steps, small, medium, large rhythm, you know, could maybe could have a little bit longer impulse, a little more powerful. Uh, I like the lower half and the block for the most part. You might be slight. I, I think, I think you're pretty good with the lower half there. I'd say the biggest breakdown is your layback, and that's kind of, it might be an arm relaxation thing, like in a little bit of like a carry position thing. So I'd probably tell you, is to uh, maybe raise your carry position just a little bit and supinate or roll under the javelin a little bit and then really try to relax and de- develop that layback and external rotation. So uh, probably some float and whip throws yep. would, would be nice. some, some figure eight throws with the plyos and then kind of bridging the gap with the javelin, trying to get you into that deep layback and just relax into it get that trampoline effect out of the arm. But that's probably the biggest breakdown I see there. Otherwise, I, I like the lower half. I think you're doing a lot of things well. I think that's the one unlock for you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I always notice that too with like my upper body, like my arm is pretty relaxed. Like I, I, since working with Kevin, like I went from having a very like active, pushy arm to more relaxed. But <clears throat> I think that I still just lack that like chest stretch uh, reflex that like Jordan does like really, really well. Um, but yeah, definitely something I got to work on for sure, but appreciate the advice. I think just kind of guiding <clears throat> the javelin into what the carry position is going to be the main thing. Cause I think you're, you're relaxed and the arms kind of turned off, but it's like how you position that and guide into more tension with the upper body. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that program sounds really cool. And Kevin, I know you, have the uh, mobility program that kind of seeped its way into the baseball community. Like just a little background on me, like everything that I talk about is in context towards baseball because that's just what I grew up playing. And I think it's dope, whatever like you guys are doing with the javelin side of things and how it's kind of mixing in with the baseball world a little bit. I know Dan, like his whole thing is just bench press for throwers because like for years it was like a scare tactic. Like if you bench, your arm's going to blow up. Like, does your program have any of that bleed over effect and it can like baseball players use it and like, would it be beneficial for them? Or is it mostly just all like just javelin breakdown technique and there wasn't not as much carryover? Yeah. So it's, it's 100% a mobility program for throwers. So whether you're javelin baseball or even in cricket, and then even just like rotational sports or overhead sports like tennis or golf, we have throwers and athletes in all these different sports. So, there's definitely that carryover effect in training. Um, there's no javelin technique involved. It's literally just like mobility, physical preparation. Um, my definition for mobility is a little bit different than kind of just like the fitness industry definition. So it, it might look a little bit more like strength training at times or like stretching at times, whatever. But uh, it's definitely 
geared towards improving the movement capacity uh, necessary for throwing. So we have a lot of baseball players using it. Um, I've, I've updated it recently, so um, now it's uh, like it, it's part of True Coach. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's like weekly programming now. Originally, it was just a three-month program, and that original program when I first released it is probably like a 50-50 split of like baseball to javelin guys, which is really cool to see. Um, I'm not sure exactly where that movement picked up from of like baseball guys following javelin throwers. I think Tread Athletics kind of started a little bit of a thing. Ben Baguette. Ben Baguette, ben Baguette was the first per, per Yeah, he was the first person I heard talk about it. Yeah, so we, we've worked together a little bit. He's He got uh, the, the javelin hype train going for baseball a little bit. So I think it's just kind of a culmination of different people kind of sharing it. Definitely got things going. But I think there was definitely a like an appetite for that in the baseball community of mobility is so important for throwers, but so much of the mobility training that was available to throwers up to that point was just total high wash mm-hmm. where it's like arm care and, and, and J band routines and foam rolling and just like rolling out on a lacrosse ball, just doing like arm circles, just like a bunch of stuff that's really not doing anything. It's like, okay, great. We got warmed up, but what else? And right for me, it's like I found a lot of resources that showed me what can the, the adaptations that are possible when you actually follow a mobility program that's intentional and progressive, right? The same way that you approach strength training with that mindset of like, I have a specific plan that I'm following to get to a certain goal or level. Uh, having that mobility is a total game changer. And then it's just fun and engaging. Like there's, right, we do like back bridges and splits and like the thrower stretch, it's like you can see the connection there. Like, oh yeah, this looks like a position that I hit when I throw. Like, I I can buy into that mm. <clears throat> compared to just like quad head, groin rolling around. Like, who wants to do that, man? Um, so that's kind of like the the yeah, I guess the the short version of like yeah, it's it's totally for baseball players too. <clears throat> yeah. I use a lot of that stuff with my my baseball group at Upward, and then also too like there's this one baseball player who's a pitcher had Tommy John surgery at Southern, and he just like sees me Nevin and Jordan like working out all the time, and he actually reached out for, to me for help, and I had him doing all like the thrower stretch back bridge like the scorpion ER lift off with the um, the throwing arm like all that type of stuff, and I just love having him do those types of things and kind of like opening his eyes to it. Cause like, it's just crazy to me that <clears throat> like, it's such a routine thing for me to teach all my javelin guys. And then I'm teaching this college baseball player who's never heard of this stuff before. And then like having him warm up in the weight room before I were to throw or do med balls with him. And I'm having him like do like a lot of like the, the strength through length movements with light dumbbells. And he's like, this is what you guys do to warm up to throw. And I'm like, yeah, like all dumbbells, bro. Not a J band in sight. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, I love that dude. And I mean, there's like room for both, right? There's always yeah. room for everything. It's just a matter of efficiency and effectiveness. And it's not just like one has to be better than the other, but it's like, like, dude, like, like, yes, we have baseball players in our program. A lot of them are actually at the pro level. Like these are guys who, where they know what works, they know what's effective mm-hmm. and they, they, they wouldn't be using it if it was not effective, right? So it's like even at the highest level, um, or particularly at the highest level, it's like 
these guys are like thinking for themselves and they're in tune with their body. And it's like, when you have that breakthrough moment, like you're putting that baseball player through, it's like, there's no going back for him at that point because he knows now there's another way. Yeah. And I just think it's, it's super cool when you can share that with, an, with another athlete and like it, it legitimately does kind of change the course of their career. Cause it's like, you can move better, you throw harder, you stay healthier. It's like, that's a game changer. That's the name of the game when, when you're a throwing sport athlete. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I worked up at Cressy's up in Hudson for like a little bit. And like, I was joking with Dan cause he made that one post of his throwers doing like 40 pound dumbbell shoulder circles. And I was like, if you did that there, they would kick you out almost immediately. That's just like, that's, that's a, more of an old school way of um, warming up and like treating their pitchers a little bit more on the fragile side. But they, what they did do a lot of was PRI, like the Postural, Restitute, uh, Postural Rest, Restoration Institute. Like, are you guys big fans of like Bill Hartman stuff or like the breathing? And like, how do you guys go about putting that into your mobility programs, if at all? Yeah. So little known fun fact, I don't remember where I even heard this, but Bill Hartman threw javelin. Did you know that? I didn't know that. I did not know <laughs> yeah, that. He's, he's a javelin I, guy. The, six, the 16 percenters. I did not know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I love Bill Hartman's like he's a smart dude um, and PRI in general, I think is something you can absolutely learn from. There's PRI exercises in mobility ability. Like I love like postural breathing. Um, just the idea of expanding the back of your rib cage is a game changer for somebody who needs it. Um, and especially it's like a thrower, you need a good T-spine scapula, uh, GH joint relationship. Like it's all interconnected. So it's like, as throwers, we get locked up in that kind of chest, back, T-spine extended position. So it's like a lot of throwers do need to intentionally put themselves into that right hunched, hunched back T-spine protracted scapula position, and um, and they feel a lot better when they do it. So there's definitely stuff that I do um, that's PRI related, but I think it's like taking it just as a system and copying and pasting it onto yourself and using that as your only means to any given ends, uh, I just don't think that that's going to necessarily get you to. It's, it's not going to level you up. It might just help you gain a better understanding of your body or move a little bit better, feel a little bit better. But there's no reason you can't do that in conjunction with this other stuff, um, if that makes sense. But Bill Hartman, he's, he's obviously a PRI guy, but he talks so much about the spiral system within the body. And I think that's kind of like the biggest game changer. Um, it's kind of something that I was kind of starting to conceptualize myself anyway, kind of through like a Darien bar and Edo Portal. Um, and just kind of, yeah, just kind of like learning about different stuff with like the foot hip connection and stuff. But it's like, when you understand that pronation, right? We think of that as just like the foot, like flattening into the ground. But it's like pronation is actually a full body movement and it's like, okay, the foot pronates, but the hip internally rotates. And then that's related to the spinal engine of one side compressing and like every joint is connected in that way. And that's ultimately what elasticity is made of. And that's what athleticism is made of. So it's like on one hand, there's a lot of like applied PRI stuff that's total eyewash for throwers. But then when you take the conceptual side of it, it's actually like, like a, a total like brain blast moment of like it just opens your mind to so many new possibilities of like what athleticism actually is dude it's crazy too like because i remember thinking back 
<clears throat> it was like three years ago, 2020, just being in my childhood bedroom when I was like home for the pandemic. And I got the Kevin Foster Word document program. And it was just like the quadruped straw breathing. <laughs> just like laying on my, I'm laying on my childhood bedroom floor. <laughs> My my season just got canceled second year in a row. I hired this dude from online. He's having me breathe through his stuff. I was like, this goes against everything that I believed. But it was just like, at that time though, I was so like lost because that was like my second year in a row that got canceled because I had Tommy John the year prior. I needed that like two to three month period of just like, being exposed to like the opposite end of the spectrum but it was just like i remember that being and just being like dude you know what like i'll try it like i'll try anything at this point <laughs> should have got you with the balloon next. yeah it was, was it was next. like before it was before like mobility ability it was before all that stuff so yeah no i was i was just gonna say number one is Quadruped straw breathing is an absolute game changer. <laughs> Need the straw. Straw is absolutely required. Need the Number two, though, it's like, dude, I, re- I freaking, I remembered like a lot of what mobility ability turned into was based on a lot of that stuff that I was doing with with you and, and Scott and I, I worked with a guy named Bo who really needed mobility stuff too, and um, just through like seeing like, I mean, dude, like. I feel like a lot of what we did together, it, it definitely like opened your eyes to, right? You were like totally jacked javelin end yeah. of the spectrum. And I was like totally like mobility, ability into the spectrum. But we found that middle ground. I think it was really cool kind of what it turned into. Yeah. Uh, just realizing that it's like there's room for there's room for jacked javelin and mobility, ability, and there's room for mobility, ability, and jacked javelin. And just kind of seeing like the interplay between them, it's, it's cool. And yeah. I think... I, I like. I definitely learned for a little bit from you, and I'm um, seeing kind of just how you've taken that and applied it to your stuff is awesome. Yeah, um, so and yeah, I think it's like it's hilarious. It totally is the polar opposite. Quadruped yeah. straw breathing, man. Yeah, quadruped <laughs> straw breathing, and then bench press. <laughs> but yeah. but I think it's it, it super obviously set of the century, man. yeah, super set of the century. You got to undo, you know, the the posture. Um, but yeah, I think it obviously like that that process. I think you know. God kind of had me walk through that, I think, because that might not have really like, obviously, like I got better as an athlete and, you know, I ended up PRing by like five meters after and stuff. But like the goals that I had in my mind when I was like looking to like learn all the stuff that you taught me, it's like little did I know that this kid, Jordan Davis, was going to walk into my life like a couple of years later. And, you know, I needed to have that middle ground of the weightlifting and the mobility and still have that knowledge of technical technical foundation in order to like increase his buy-in because he was like the same thing as me at that point was like that, you know, just lift heavy, play football type of like, you know, throw the javelin, like max effort every time I pick it up, you know, but it's just like really cool to see how that translated over to helping him and, and Nevin as well. Kind of like, increase their buy-in because um you know having that mix between the two i think is is important for kind of everybody um i know speaking of like training and stuff like that right because like i'm a coach and i'm training and 
all that type of stuff. Like, where are you at with your, um, Kevin, where are you at with like kind of having that training coaching balance right now? Because I know you had competed like a year or two post-collegiately and then you tore your labrum and then you really stepped it up on the business side of things. So where are you at with that? Yeah, that's uh, that's a great question. My, my training process has been a long and windy road since college. Um, I should probably just start there. Like after school, I get this question all the time. Like, are you still training to throw? Um, after college, I was like 50-50 on whether or not I was going to continue. I kind of just like, I acted as if I was done, but I still kept training because I, I like to walk the walk as a coach. I think it's important to kind of be your own N equals one experiment for new stuff. Um, how you keep pushing the needle forward. <clears throat> um, but then as I started kind of diving into this new training stuff, right? ATG, I don't know if you guys know Darian Barr, um, a lot of like just mobility stuff in general. Um, I felt so much better. The reason I wanted to stop throwing up at school is because I had three surgeries and my body just felt terrible. I felt like whole body hurt. Um, but by the time spring rolled around, I felt like a million bucks. And I actually, Dan, the, the track meet that we met at, I don't know if you remember, but one of my warm-up throws went like over 75 meters for sure. Yeah, and, I remember I remember that. Yeah, and then I, I finished the meet throwing like 69 or something, 68. But I was like, dude, that warm-up throw went really far, and I did not train at all for this moment. I kind of just like signed up for the meet and, and tried to throw. I, I trained for like a month leading up to it. So I was like, okay, I'm going to keep throwing. I'm going to keep training. And so I set my sights on 2020 and I was training my butt off for literally from that meet to COVID happening and, and the season getting canceled. But I was like in peak form, like I was ready to go. And then obviously COVID happened and I kind of had this reckoning moment of, I think a lot of throwers, especially kind of like post-collegiate throwers, they kind of either go all in on javelin or they go all in on life. And when they go all in on javelin, they put their life on hold. And I didn't want to be that guy. Like I got engaged recently to my fiance and I had met her that previous fall. Um, and I knew that I needed to kind of step up in a new way, like outside of javelin. Um, so I started the coaching stuff a lot more seriously. That's when I made mobility ability. Um, but I was kind of like 50-50 between javelin because I was still putting a lot of time and energy because I was like, okay, you know what? 2020 got canceled. I'm setting my sights for 2021, whatever. I, I, I put in so much work up to this point. I can't just stop now. <clears throat> so then I kept training, but I also started stepping up the business stuff, creating mobility ability. And then literally it was like I had finished half of the videos. Mobility ability was done. I was just recording some of the videos still. I had finished half of the videos and my fiance Brendan and I had gone to Newport, Rhode Island and I slipped on a wet rock at the beach. Totally like I went airborne like five feet and fell on my shoulder, like right in that like dislocation position. And my shoulder was absolutely demolished. Like I never got it checked out. I made a video about this where I kind of talked about my rationale there, but my shoulder was absolutely demolished. Like I could not even lift it up the parallel. Like it was literally like shaking like this when I lifted it up. 
and I just had no strength, no stability, and like putting myself through some of the tests is just like okay, like I definitely like jacked up my weight room, like pretty bad. Um, so from that point forward, I was like, I still had my sights set for 2021. I ended up moving down to Houston, Texas, to work with Grant Fowler. Um, if you know who Grant is, I don't know if you guys yeah, know yeah. him. Yeah. In my opinion, he is like the the best strength coach in the world. Uh, second only to Dan Lab. <laughs> um, but he he's the man because he takes such a holistic approach. He got me into like the red light. He got me on shockwave therapy. Like he just had me. He was throwing everything at my shoulder, and over the course of kind of what I say is I injured my shoulder in September. Over the course of about three months up to January, I got my shoulder back to like eighty five percent just from like a bunch of Edo Portal movement, like Dr. Tommy John style, like 10 million joint movements a day kind of stuff. Hit it with the red light twice a day for 20 minutes every day, sometimes three times a day if I woke up early enough. And I was just, I, I threw the kitchen, everything with the kitchen sink at it, maybe even the kitchen sink. <laughs> and I got it up to like 85% healed. So I could, I could kind of throw, but it still felt terrible. But when I got down to spend three months with Fowler, he got me that last like 14 to 15%. Like I, I was at like 95 to like 99%. Like by the time, say like April came around, I guess. Um, but then right. April was when the track season started that I had just been gearing up for, for literally the last two years didn't train at all leading up to this meet that I actually threw at Southern with Dan. And so I took like three step throws, like literally I took Dan, I think I was thinking like walk into one crossover throws and yeah, you were, you were going, you went from like a different approach every, every attempt. I yeah. Think. Yeah. I didn't train at all. My, I did not train my approach at all. The week before I was like ripping throws off a half approach at, the, the runway that I do train on. So I was like, all right, you know what? I can just show up and wing it. But I showed up at that meet and I threw like 61 meters off of like a, a one crossover, three crossover throw. And I just had this like reckoning moment. Like I, was, I had so much like anxiety when I was on the runway. Like I just felt like this is not where I'm supposed to be right now. Like what am I doing like here in general? I'm just going to like... Sh- what I'm going to take a half a pro throne and throw 71 meters. And then, and then what, like, what is that going to, going to accomplish for anything or anybody? And I just had that moment of like, like a, a, a bigger calling than just throwing. Um, so that was the last meet that I have thrown at. Um, and since then I've like doubled and tripled down on the coaching worked a lot on my relationship with the sport. I think that was like a big piece of the puzzle for me was like, where does javelin fit into my life? Right. The, the training javelin or the, the training for javelin and coaching javelin relationship was like so skewed for me in my head. Mm. Um, and so finding that balance for me personally has been like the mission for the last two years. I've been training the whole time, but not competing. And I think that's right. I think there's like a lesson there for a lot of people is that like, you you can train for fun and still get better. Like I feel like I'm a better thrower now than I was two years ago. And now that my relationship with the sport has improved by literally a hundred times from where it was two years ago, 
Um, I, I am thinking about coming back out and competing this upcoming season for the Olympic trials. And especially with Mike having done 75 meters and, and beating my PR, right? Like I said at the very beginning, I'm a coach who likes to walk the walk. I can't just let my athlete have a better PR than me. So <laughs> I, it's, it's my own personal mission for myself and for Mike and just for everybody that I coach to, to figure out how to throw eight meters. Um, so that's really where I'm at. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's, yeah. that's definitely, that's the long answer to your, to your short yeah. question. That's, that's awesome. And I think that like, even still like that, that helps me out a lot personally, because like for people who know my story, like I had a three year break from competition in the middle of my college career where from 2018 to 2021, I didn't compete um, and then graduated and then took a year off and then randomly signed up for two meets this summer and didn't throw well, but my body felt great. And then I was like, all right, I'm going to try to give this thing another shot. So it's like, you know, out of the last, what, six years, I've taken four years off. <laughs> So it's like, you know, keep just kind back. of keep going back. just keep going back and forth. But like, I mean, that I, like you said, like I, I've been through all that too. Like, you know, not having fun with it and then taking a break and then coming back and feeling great. And then just like physically feeling great, but then mentally just kind of feeling lost on the runway. That's how I was this summer. Like my body felt great, but at the two meets I signed up to, like my technique was crazy. You know, I was, I broke that javelin in half because <laughs> I, I threw it all the way out to the right and hit a football slide. <laughs> so it snapped in half. <laughs> but it's just like, who put that sled there? Yeah, who put that sled there, man? But, that was me, man. That was my, yeah, my first, team, yeah. my first ever meet at UConn and then my last ever meet at UConn. My, my senior dad threw one into the trees. <laughs> Dude, the right sector at UConn does does come over a lot, like the trees. So I think Jordan honestly probably did that once, I think, too, there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think that just, like, I think that's what makes, like, you such a good coach, though, too, is because, like, you've walked the walk of, like, so many of those struggles that so many of your athletes have dealt with, whether it's, like, a kid out in, like, a random state that, doesn't have a jab coach that is just getting like no guidance or, or somebody who might have a lot of guidance, but you know, they're, they're getting too much guidance and like, they need just like one person to listen to, or like, you know, just being frustrated with like the hip or the elbow or whatever. I think that like being, like you said, being able to walk through it and having that struggle and, you know, being able to apply it in an intelligent way to your athletes and talk to them in that holistic manner that you and Mike talk about a lot helps so many kids out there that just don't have any direction. And that's where I always look back at it too, where it's like, if me having three seasons off in the middle of my college career and screwing up my college career helps 10 other kids down the road, be able to avoid that. Or, you know, if they do have like an extended period off, I could apply them with some type of direction during that time off so that they're not just training around the clock for no reason. Then it's like, it was all worth it because I'm able to use my experience to like help someone else. Yeah. Um, Mike, let's hear a little bit about like your story. Like how did you find Kevin? Like how'd you get obsessed with javelin? Like what, what sparked your interest in picking up a stick and throwing at 75 meters? 
Yeah, so I was uh, always a baseball pitcher. That was kind of my first love was throwing the baseball. And I was working through, like, some of the free driveline, tread athletic stuff. And, you know, I, I didn't really know what I was doing. But, you know, it was fun. And I liked throwing long toss. I could long toss, like, well over a football field in, in high school, like, early in high school. Like, in the back of end zone to back of end zone. And, like, off the mound, I just was frustrated. Like, I didn't know what to do. And I couldn't throw as many strikes as I wanted. I wasn't throwing as hard as I wanted. And I saw some of those guys in the baseball community, you know, triathlon athletics, all those guys, posting uh, javelin clips. And I was like, dude, this is the sport for me. Because, you know, I like long toss. So I, I had to try it. I ordered a javelin off Amazon. I talked to Scott Fuchs and, like, just started tracking the javelin in a field. And he kind of helped me out, you know, a long way until – I found Kevin's page and stuff. I followed all these guys that talked about javelin, just anything I could learn. And I, I saw like a lot or pretty early on. Uh, I knew I really wanted to continue throwing javelin, and I knew that it could take me a lot of places. So like, right away I wanted to go really far like, to the Olympics because I watched training montages and you know throwing montages of Zelezny and Thor Kilson. I was like, this is, I'm going to do this. So I followed everyone I could. I, I followed Kevin's page, read through like all of his posts. Eventually he puts out mobility ability. I, I think I was one of the first guys to get it. You were the so, first. The very first. <laughs> Within two hours of me posting it, you bought it. Yeah, yeah, I was like, I need to get this. And I worked through mobility ability. And I was like, dude, that I just showed, it proved to me what consistent hard work could do if it was just applied in the right direction. I was like, I didn't know what to do before, but now I know what to do. And I always had the work ethic to execute. It was just about what am I going to execute? So, you know, mobility ability made, you know, some impressive gains off of that. And then uh, I started working with Kevin about a year later, made a lot of improvements. And then I, I ended up uh, not throwing my senior year. I got a partial UCL tear, but we just worked through it and, you know, kept building up, kept getting stronger. And last year was my first season really like actually throwing, you know, and at Iowa, I got recruited by Iowa and I went to Iowa. So, yeah, we just kept working through it, kept getting better, kept making the right fixes and applied all the stuff in the right direction. And then, yeah, I threw 75 meters, I guess. So, <laughs> uh, wait, so only, only, no. Mike, you didn't work with Kevin until like 2022? 2021. Oh, okay. I, so like August, oh yeah, twenty twenty one yeah because after my junior year baseball season, I started working with Kevin. I was like, you know what, I, I love baseball, but like let's just no more. I, I'm going all in on javelin. Because I'm trying to I'm trying to remember back to the the quadruped straw breathing days, <laughs> and I'm like, because I remember that COVID time, like that like two three month gap where I was at my parents' house. I remember seeing that Mike threw on the grass like 178 or something yeah, yeah I threw so like that was before that was before you were working with kevin that was before i was working with kevin and that was before mobility ability dropped but like i was still i i think i was dming back and forth with kevin at that point like i read through all of his posts like i was just going all in everything i could yeah find. that's crazy because yeah. i could have sworn you guys were working together still back then because i remember you were on the Through the Point podcast, and then I was yeah, up there. We, we all were three. We were all yeah, kind of. yeah, because all three of us were on the Through the Point podcast, like within the yeah. first like ten episodes or something. So, I mean, look at us now, but um, yeah. but it's just like it's just funny thinking back to that time 
because uh, I remember like, you I know, remember doing the quadruped straw breathing on on the track at my high school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm weird though. Yeah. That's the thing is. You got, you know, you got to be one to look like a weirdo if you don't make games sometimes, so. It's true. Bro, just, just hit the quadruped straw in the dead arm circles and the spinal wave exploration. <laughs> <all I'm saying>. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, dude, I have, dude, I have the craziest story to tell you guys. So when I was coaching Nevin and Jordan the first year, um, I was like, I brought them into like a classroom at Southern and was like, yo. We're following this mobility program and it's like, it's really good. Like it's going to help us out a lot. And Jordan was just like, just like so anti, like anything that looked weird, especially like in front of any other teams that might've been around, like, especially like, like girls sports teams and whatnot. Like he just always wanted to make sure that we like, we looked cool or whatever. And so I was like, yo, like, it's fine. Like nothing, nothing in this program is sus. We click on the first one. It's the spinal wave. It's just a video of Kevin like breaking it. Jordan just looks dead at me and is like, "There is no way in hell I'm doing that." I, I can't see Jordan doing that, bro. It was so funny. Um, so. So, Mike, you went from throwing that, that 178 to then the next year you threw 59, right? 59 yeah, meters? 59, 74 or something, yeah. And that was like 2021? Yeah, 2021. After mobility ability. Nice. The first time I ran through it. Word, word. So, talk about a little bit about your buy-in, right? Because, like, from my perspective, you always seemed like someone who was, like, super, like, obsessed with javelin and just loved it did yeah. that did that like grow after you threw 59 after you tore your ucl when you got to iowa after you threw 75 yeah. when did it really you feel like really yeah, like so i i think every like small victory like throwing 59 getting recruited by iowa kind of showed i was on the right path i was like Man, this is just kind of like my career arc of eventually, you know, going to the Olympics, throwing a world record, whatever. So I knew I was on the right path. I just had to keep grinding and stuff and just keep putting my head down, working hard. Uh, but like when I heard about UCL, it was definitely like a test. And I just was like, this is actually an opportunity to level up, you know, improve technically, improve physically, all these things. So then I can throw 75. So it was really, it all paid off because everything was an opportunity and led me down the right path. Like every uh, obstacle was actually kind of an opportunity where I, I could adapt and continue to level up. And now I really see this vision. I think the vision, this mission to throw that far, you know, throw the world record or whatever, this is kind of having that vision is what allows me to be so driven. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And I think it's too it's really cool too to see like you know all, all of us have torn our ucl at one point and um Still here. <laughs> yeah except brett <laughs> brett you ever seen brett throw he's like he has that catcher throw where it's he literally like, just full he like right from the yeah, ear right from the right, ear i throw a dart yeah that's it uh he, he uses his tricep to throw but um what was i gonna say oh how like through the ucl tear like you could find that silver lining and like make yourself better and like, yeah. you know, obviously like Kevin 
had what like a you had like a six meter PR after you tore your UCL. Like I had a five meter PR. Mike had a sixteen meter PR. <laughs> but but like yo that it but that downtime like allows us to really like study the sport and it could make or break you. You either sit on your butt and just you know go through the motions of rehab, or you take the eleven months to study the sport and improve yourself. Yeah, yeah. I mean. I think I heard a quote like the, the the most amount of obstacle or difficulty will be right before you have your biggest breakthrough, and that was a hundred percent true for me. So the year before, you know, I was I didn't even throw, and then the next year I was able to use it to then throw seventy five. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's true because like you know you you missed that that opportunity. So maybe realistically, like if you had that season you might have thrown somewhere in the middle like that 65 to like 68 range but then because you had that year off it was like an explosion of just untapped potential yo mike say that quote again i'm stealing that i'll send it too all right right thank you <laughs> oh wait 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 oh what did you say oh i said send that qu- well yeah what was that quote say that again yeah 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 so right before uh your your biggest breakthrough you're gonna encounter the biggest obstacle that's what allows you to break through you said it better the first time <laughs> you, know, you know who said that or not i don't know i think it was in the book the alchemist maybe oh you like was it? that book i did read the alchemist it might have i think uh, that's a great book by the way i don't read yeah i know i only <laughs> read i only read mike stein's training <laughs> it's the only book i've ever read you make it past the cover page. <laughs> I'm working on it. Working You're working. On it. <laughs> um, so I, I know Mike, Kevin's one of your coaches now, but and then Kevin, you alluded to a couple of coaches in the field that like you've looked up to or like taken stuff from. But, like for each of you guys, this is a question for both of you. Like who are some of your biggest mentors or coaches that you look up to in the field? And it doesn't have to be just javelin, but it could be through like training, sports performance, nutrition. Like, who are some of the guys that you follow that you would recommend, like other people like yourself that should follow them or look into? For sure, uh, Michael. Michael, let you go first, dude. Yeah. Uh, so for me, obviously, Kevin being like my mentor and, and my coach, and then also my school coach, uh, Coach Ray Robinson, and uh, Coach Roberts, my my strength coach. All those guys that you know, it's a great team and. It's really helped me level up. Uh, also, Bill Miller and Scott Fugues have been, you know, great mentors for me and have led me like down the path of improving javelin and kind of showed me how to get started. Uh, as far as like sports performance goes, I, I really like, uh, you know, everyone like David Weck. I, I really like some of his stuff. I, I just like all these outside the box ideas. I'll listen to anyone. Uh, you know, Tommy John, Dr. Tommy John. Uh, he was a big influence on me as well. So. That's awesome. That that's we, we definitely have a lot of uh, overlap and like people we follow and stuff. Yes. Uh, I think for for me, like I, I've had so many different like stages of learning that it's so hard to just like pinpoint a few. But early on, so we were talking about like when I had the elbow surgery and I had to come back and rehab that, but I still came back and threw six a six meter PR. Um, I actually emailed Dan back from Jump Science. Uh, I don't know if you guys know who Jump Science is, but um he, he i was basically just like hey i know you're not a throws coach and i know you don't know anything about a javelin but i just tore my ucl do you have any advice and he actually gave me like such a thoughtful in-depth response to just like 
Well, dude, from what you're saying right now, it sounds like you just need to get stronger. So just like put all of your time and effort and energy into get right, improve your deadlift, improve your bench press, improve your squat, right? Take your recovery seriously. And then at a certain point, say like around springtime, even though you're not competing, take some time away from lifting and just focus on sprinting and like explosive stuff. And I just followed it to a T, like that was my first experience of just like being mentored by somebody, even though it was literally just one email. But I just like followed it, busted my butt, and there was a six meter PR. And like at that point forward, I was just like bought in. I was like, holy cow, like the answers are actually out there in random little corners of the internet. Like that's so cool um, that you can just like find people that will help you who know what they're talking about. So that was like a big one uh, for me. Um, but then beyond that, like I said, like I found a lot of really awesome people after I graduated and I would say those have probably been like my biggest influence, biggest influences on what I do now. So like the ATG guys, like Ben Patrick, especially maybe the flexible, um, with the strength through length stuff, um, range of strength. I don't know if you guys know who Lucas Aaron is. Um, me and him actually had an awesome conversation one, one time in, the summer before I, I created Mobility Ability, he's the one that convinced me to make a program like Mobility Ability. And if you know Lucas's work and you've done Mobility Ability, you can very clearly see the influence there, like with the back bridges, the way the splits design, um, lots of influence there. Also, Mobility Ability wouldn't exist, exist if not for uh, Lucas Aaron, whose range of strength are on Instagram. And then a Darian Barr, I, I've mentioned him a couple times now, but he's a, a sprint coach, um, but he's very outside the box in how he thinks. And a lot of people kind of like talk about him like a pseudoscientist. Um, but the truth is he just like, he sees things in his own way and talks about things in a different way. And for whatever reason, it just resonates so strongly with me and understanding throwing in terms of leverage and rotation and timing and collisions and right squatty like i say squatty back foot contact that's like everybody knows that that's like my thing with javelin squatty is an adarian bar term uh left side driver that was like an og cue i used in the the technical foundations ebook i learned that at his rewire clinic like yeah. he he walked me through some different stuff about like left side hip drive connection and tons of stuff there where it's like, dude, you're not even the throws coach, but like you're helping me more than any javelin coach ever has. Um, so like as, as far as all that stuff goes, like, yeah, like I would definitely say those have been like my biggest influences and I, I can't really, it's like, it, if I feel bad saying it, but like I really don't have any big javelin influences. Um, right. I just kind of have learned like all the lingo and the jargon and the cues and Right, I've been to the Tom Putzkis clinic and I've just like, I've done it, I've learned all of it, right? But there's nothing that really influences the way that I think about throwing because so much of it is just so oversimplified, over, uh, I don't know, overcomplicated and oversimplified at the same time. It, it just doesn't resonate with me. Um, so I've definitely, I've been trying to like make sense of Javelin from like a totally different perspective that it really takes science and physics and human anatomy into account in a different way. Yo, I would say Thomas Rawler actually is probably, he, I would say he's a yeah. influence for sure. Yeah. Kevin, can I ask you a question real quick? Cause I, I've yeah. sent, I've sent Mike some of these videos in the past, but like sometimes I'll see people doing ball throws and it looks like they're like really like catapulting their arm 
right? So like when the way that you teach it, it's like the way that I teach my guys and the way that Mike learns it is like a very, like obviously like a whippy arm, you get into like deep layback and that's just how I always train now, whether I'm taking an easy throw or a hard throw. So like if you see like guys out there who are like on, you know, in reputable training groups and they're like having that catapult arm action, like what is the benefit of that? Or like, what do you attribute that to? Yeah, I think the big goal is just trying to find tension through the body and like arm connection to the torso and, and just driving the throw with your body, which like throwing over the top of like that is one strategy to do so. Um, but yeah, I mean, like my, my perspective, like you said, it's right. I, I focus a lot more on kind of like the throwing on relaxation. And I don't think it's necessarily like one is right and one is wrong. It's just different strategies to get to uh an end point right my goal with relaxation it's it's not just relax your arm and just like fling the throw it's there's a lot of specific instruction kind of embedded in a sequence of drills that i have that takes a very intentional progression with um just kind of like how i break things down and so the goal with relaxation is to ultimately find important positions with your lower half and connect it to your upper half um, and just learn how to throw with your body. And I think that, in my opinion, and whether it's right or wrong, my opinion is that kind of throwing over the top, you lose some of the benefits that could come from accumulating relaxed throwing reps. And I, I feel like it's a little bit of like a shortcut, if you will. Like you can get that feeling in a standing throw when you do that. But as soon as you try to do that with any kind of real speed or, or anything behind it, like, it doesn't work. It's not, you don't want to literally throw like that when you're throwing a javelin. So in my mind, it's like, why even introduce that as like a cue to focus on, if that makes sense. Yeah. I no, can, yeah. Uh, with uh, the throwing over the top, you know, the more speed you get, one big problem I had last season was there were meets where I would miss the throw because my arm just kind of felt catapulty. And it felt like it was stuck behind me instead of loose and whip-like. So now we're kind of working back the other way to implement some of this relaxation. And now some of that was because I was compensating around my elbow. But now since I'm healthy, I'm able to uh, relax the arm and get into deep layback and let the body kind of drive the throw. But you're relaxing the arm, but it's just there's some subtle guidance of guiding your arm into the right positions and that deep layback to feel that tension just guiding your arm into the tension, uh, but the arm's completely relaxed. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that, like you were talking about, like, especially, too, when you're, like, you know, when you're, like, sideways through your crossovers and then trying to, like, you know, uncoil, you're not going to be able to, like, uncoil and then throw, like, directly over the top. There's obviously that whip, that whippy arm that's needed to get the proper layback and the tension in the chest to be able to throw. I just thought that it was interesting because it's like, I, I, I kind of have that same process as thought process as you, Kevin, where it's like, I'm not going to teach my guys to, to do that type of throwing motion when that's not how I'm going to teach it when we speed up, you know? So it's like kind of like how you, how you do the little things is how you do the big things. Yeah, and, and I would even say like that that's not even necessarily fully my thought process. That that was just kind of an example off the top yeah. of my head. Like it to me it goes deeper where it's like 
there's so much benefit that you can get from learning how your body is actually supposed to work and becoming uh, just more like kinesthetically aware of how you can manipulate your body in different shapes. And when you actually watch how the best throwers throw, it's like you could say they throw over the top, but their over the top is not like this. It's they side bend, they over rotate, they set this leverage with their chest in a stacked bone position over a block leg with all this heel pressure. And then that's where the arm comes over the top, but it's still in the plane of torso rotation. Um, but just like getting super nitty gritty with how it works, you never have to like teach your thrower all that, but you can come up with better drills to put them in these contexts where it's like they can kind of go through their own path of self-discovery because you have to feel things in javelin. Like you can't think your way to a throw. Eventually you have to feel it. Absolutely. Um, so that's really, that's my thought process is like, why don't we just start that process as soon as possible with really easy drills? Like, because you can't just go out and learn this stuff at full speed. You kind of have to create a slow, uh, like meticulous process to initially kind of develop these isolated skills, like throwing on relaxation. So that's really my thought process. It's not just like, well, you don't actually throw like that. So we should just throw like this. It's like, no, there's, there's a big thought process behind it. And I just want to make that clear because that's one of the biggest like a lot of people like have pushback against the fact that I kind of go against these like orthodox javelin cues, but it's not just that I'm like against them. It's just, I see a better way to go about it when you really break down the nitty gritty stuff. Mm. Yeah. I, I like how you guys just broke down plyo balls. Cause again, like the context of baseball and just in the world of that, like the mo the majority of the time it's done at 50%, like as a warm up. And it's reverse throws, pivot picks, and then maybe a couple like walk-in wind-ups, and they go on the mound, and they don't really think much of it. So they're you guys, with the right intention. Yeah, so like, it, they're never done like the same thing with like their band warm-ups and the, yeah. everything like that. It just, it just looks like it's just part of their routine for the sake of it. Saying them saying it's in the routine. It's like I did my plyo balls. I'm good to throw now. But they did it at like fifty percent. Like not even close or anything feeling like that. So you guys, I feel like just based off the javelin throwers, like the guys that Dan's talked about and the way you guys talk about the throw, I feel like every throw for you guys matters a lot more because you only have a certain amount in competition. And then I think just for baseball pitchers that they throw 100 pitches a game, like not every throw is for them is going to be like that locked into it. So it is a lot easier in like the baseball world where they're just – they take a lot of reps off, in my opinion, just from what I've seen. What's interesting now is I can go back and do a pivot pick or some of those like OG driveline drills. And I'm like, oh, that's what I was supposed to feel. Not, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, that's what I was saying earlier about baseball. Is like I'd see some of this driveline stuff and I was like, this is really cool. And I just do it to do it. But now it's now these drills actually have benefit because I know what I'm trying to feel. I'm trying to feel that deep layback. I'm trying to feel the body creating the throw instead of just, you know, ripping plyos. Yeah, I think that's the the why behind all of those drills is what's missing, in my opinion, just in the baseball world. It's like you guys do a great job of explaining, like, the why behind it and the javelin throw and, like, what you're trying to feel. And, like, you guys just talking about it now the past, like, five minutes. Like, a baseball coach, I don't think will ever break it down like that, especially before a game or in practice. Just what I've 
like you've played baseball like growing up and like you have your forensic science teacher being your high school baseball coach like that was like, well, I was like that's that's the reality of it and there's not many coaches that take that much pride in like the actual long-term development of a pitcher like they just want them to throw strikes and throw it now and like get outs like regardless if they're feeling something the right way yeah I think your, your catch play if done right should should be like every all these sub maximal throws are just gonna ingrain the right feelings if you have the right intention to it. Yeah, you definitely see a lot of like that that lazy like long toss build up, you know, until they get to like that distance, they're like you know just lobbing it out there, not 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 caring at all. But it's like for us when we're doing our picks and we're going our through our three steps and seven steps it's like we're building and building and we're trying to feel that you know feel different things like whether it's your lower half or your block or your left side or your the pull in your arm like our warm-up and ramp up through the stand throws all the way back to the full approach like it all is pretty much done with intention um so i that actually is a really good perspective like i didn't really think about it like that until we just are talking about it now um but I think it has to do with just the sheer volume of baseball being played. <laughs> yeah. Too is like they don't stop. Like they're off. They don't really have off seasons. Like they play fall, winter time. They like it's their off season. But then they start up in February anyways. So they have what three or four months, like not even, and they're still throwing inside. And then they have to go in the spring and have that full season. They have to play summer ball. They have to play fall ball. That they never really just take the time to like, take a break and then. Like you guys all saying like your UCL injury like led you to learning something else about yourself and leveling up. Like if baseball players are always at sub max intensity because just they just are burnt out from the sport, it's gonna be a lot harder to get hurt. Like not trying as hard. So yeah. I I think training a little bit more intensely with more and in, with just more um, like awareness to it and like taking some more breaks. I think that's where baseball players can learn. Like even just pitchers entirely just learning more from you guys and just taking stuff like that into account with just the attentionality piece. Yeah, I, I would charging. actually add one thing to that, which is like in javelin, right? It's a little bit different from baseball. I think you're totally right. But um, every coach has a reason for why they do certain drills, right? And, and there are coaches that don't have a reason, but we're just going to disregard them for the sake of this conversation. But like, most coaches who are like serious about what they do, they think about what they're doing with their athletes, but it's the logic behind it. And like, right. I just think about what you're saying with baseball throwers, how it's like they, they lack intention because they're always just kind of going through the motions of competing all year round. But then in javelin, it's like, we kind of do the same thing in a different way. And by we, I do not mean me and Mike, we take a very different approach, but like, Right in Javelin, it's like, okay, fall, we're going to do GPP circuit training. In winter, we're going to focus on explosive power in the weight room and do a bunch of Olympic lifts and hard medicine ball throws. And then we'll slowly increase the specificity throughout spring. And it's like, okay, it's just this checklist of like things that you're supposed to do to become a good Javelin thrower. But it totally does not take into account the individual or like the actual demands of throwing at all. It's yeah. just like a bunch of exercises as if you're like showing up to some like fitness group class or something. And it's like, what are we doing here? How is this making us better? Yeah. But the coach, their, their rationale would be, well, oh, it's, it's fall. We're doing GPP. This is a good thing. But it's like you have to break that down and you need to have like such a specific 
like obsessive obsessive psychopath level of like nitty gritty specificity of like the train of logic to get from point A to point B of like this drill is going to lead to this, which is going to help this, which is going to help this, which is going to help the throw. Yeah. And I just think that that is totally missing. And I think, right. Uh, I'm definitely an obsessive psychopath when it comes to that stuff. And I think Mike kind of buys into that way of thinking too. So I think it's a perfect partnership in that sense. Um, But it's like, but again, like even outside of working with Mike, working with other throwers, like I explain all this stuff to Mike because Mike gets it and Mike loves it. But that's all stuff that can happen behind the scenes when you're the coach. The athlete doesn't have to know about any of that weird, like, logic and intense like thought process yeah athlete just shows up and does the drills but they're just better drills and so the athlete thinks about intention but the coach thinks about the the quality behind that intention yeah that's what i don't know if you saw the clip that i credited to you uh, from our what was it our last podcast that was released it was talking about how brett went to see jeremy frisk What's his last name? It was Jeremy Frisch. Frisch. Uh, yeah, Frisch, Jeremy yeah. Frisch. And um, and he was talking about how like, the number one rule of strength and conditioning is that there are no rules. And then I was talking about how you presented that idea to me a couple of years ago about how like peaking doesn't really matter. And it's like that makes so much sense to me now because it's like now I could be in a hypertrophy phase and pick up a javelin and throw further than I did three years ago when I was in a peak phase, just because I've developed as an athlete and my throwing ability has gotten better since then, you know, but it's like that peak phase and like the hypertrophy into strength and into power, into speed, into like competition prep, whatever, like that doesn't mean anything unless you have the proper foundation of like the technical foundation and actually being able to throw and and be healthy and, and whatnot. And I, I took that similar approach with Jordan this year too, where I was like, everyone's doing general prep in the, in the fall, like five by 10. And I was like, Jordan's not doing that because September and October are the best months we have to train outside in Connecticut until, until May of next year. You know what I mean? And I'm like, we're not going to waste those months when when he's like, oh, he's not going to show up to practice and say, I can't walk because I did a five by 10 on squat yesterday. So we're not going to be able to do our approach work or throw today. And I'm like, no, like, like he's not doing general prep stuff. Like he's not a general prep guy. You know what I mean? Like it's not, it doesn't fit into like what I want to do. Like it's not happening. Right. He's, so, he's eight by five. Yeah. Yeah. He's he needs five. <laughs> he's clusters. Yeah, um, I, I studied exercise science at Springfield and like that whole approach is just like what's taught in the book, like like CSCS handbook, like they're going to tell you like that's like the approach you have to do, but they never once like will say, all right, you have a Jordan Davis type athlete in front of you, like where that that whole book kind of just gets thrown out the window and you're like, all right, let's just get him to enjoy throwing the javelin and, and, and like it, like just get him to quit football and stay here and then just do this like it, it doesn't it like it's just like a old i think it's just an old school way of thinking and like following guys like a darian bar who i think is like the kanye west of sprinting is just he's, he's like like everyone else is taking a skips and a marches and he's standing on bricks like it's great like it's, 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 
this dude's on Smith machines just doing like brick. He brought a brick to like LA Fitness or something. It was like, <laughs> like my man. It's like name one genius that ain't crazy. That's a Darian Bar. Like every time I watch him, like that's Kanye West. Like that's just how I. That's just my mental note of looking at his stuff. But like you're like in college and learning all this stuff from like the CSCS handbook and like what they're giving you, and then you watch like high level athletes and other coaches that have been in the field like with other reputable athletes that they've trained. Like they're not doing anything this book says. It's like this, like these rules don't apply. Like that's why I think Jeremy's like tip or like his his last little thing that he left me with when I visited him. It was like rule number one is there are no rules. Like you you just got to be able to figure stuff out as your own. And like that's what the whole role of the coach is, is to think for the athlete and get them to feel certain things and just get them to perform and eliminate the guesswork completely. Yeah, I love that, man. I, I did exercise science at UConn, too, and I got, like, C's in all my classes. Cause I, just, <laughs> I just stopped caring at a certain point because it's just all such garbage. I, I literally I yeah. tried to figure out how I could just skate by with a 2.0 GPA, <laughs> and, then, and then I was on probation for a semester. It was a little awkward, but... Let's go, baby. <laughs> Mike, what's your major? It's uh, called Enterprise Leadership. It's basically it entrepreneurial. All, uh, yeah. This sounds made up. <laughs> I major oh. in travel. <laughs> it's like the most Mike Stein major of all time. I like Shark Tank for class. That's what I do. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> It's like, uh, yeah, that's sick. That's actually yeah, like no, I, the reason I didn't do exercise science was like I don't want to do stuff that I don't believe in. Yeah, like I would not have let you do exercise science. Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't have let you. Especially uh, too, because it's like something you probably you have such a you have such a um, like hard opinion on that it's like if you're yeah. going to be listening to someone else like teach you the opposite, it's not just like you're a Republican and you have like a liberal professor or whatever. Yeah. It's like you're, um, you know, you're I, completely I, I like bought in into like, like you're what you think is like awesome. And then you to like rest ice compression at elevation. I know we got yeah. like some maxing and hogging that. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got like people teaching, like do the snap down that can't even jump 20 inches. And like, what's the point? Like, yeah. it's like, this isn't like, you can't jump that high. Like, why are you trying to teach me, like, what's the proper way to land or anything? Dude, that's, that's literally, that's why I got such bad grades in my class, because instead of, like, answering the question right, I would just write down the actual right answer. <laughs> like, the, they showed a video one time of, like, a basketball player, like, landing awkwardly, and they were talking about landing mechanics, and the teacher, like, posed the question to the class, like, oh, like, like, okay, guys, based on what we've learned so far, what is the worst way for an athlete to land after dunking a basketball? And I raised my hand. I was like, on their head. Bro. Yeah, okay. that, was, that was literally what I was thinking. That was going to be my I answer. Land on your head. Yeah, that was my answer. That was, I was going to say on your head. It's like, oh. yo, this, this guy makes 80 mil a year. I think he's fine. Like, I think he, I think he knows how to land. Like, he's, he's taken off from the free throw line. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, you go to your professor, like, when was the last time you, like, jumped over a rope? Like, like you haven't even, like, what are we doing? I was like, there's just... There was just a lot of moments in the class, like especially after I found like all like the meathead roundtable guys of like Will Vertel, Jake Tura, Austin Yoakum, like Workhorse, and like Dak and Fowler, like all these outside the box thinkers. And I'm listening to them, and I go to class. I'm like, what are we talking about? Like this is like completely different. Like it's like such like a safe, like softer approach, just from like the old school way of thinking. So I'm glad you're not doing exercise science, Mike. You just you wouldn't have enjoyed yeah. it at all, Mike. 
It's about the periodic table, man. I want to do Zercher squats. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, do you know who's on the $50 bill? Oh, my God. Uh, USSS Grant. Let's go. That's not even history. That's not. <laughs> Bro, that's. that's. I'm actually interested in history, but. Yeah. That was, that's my claim to fame question. When everyone, when anyone asks me what I studied in college, because I'm, I'm a certified history teacher in the state of Connecticut. <laughs> so. <laughs> So I'll always be like, Dan, Dan, I'm so glad I talked you out of that. <laughs> yeah, dude, it was honestly, it was like a combination of you and then obviously Derek offering me the job at the right time. And then Jordan and Nevin staying at Southern and being like, all right, yeah, definitely don't want to leave these guys. And then got a job at a private sector gym, like 20 minutes away. It just made sense. And it's like, now I'm here, but thank God I did not become a history teacher. You as I would have been miserable. Crazy. I would have been miserable. You would have been asking kids what their max Dude, bench I think, was. I think I would have aged like 15 years. Like yeah, not you would have been like, by now. Because think about it. Like I'm 24, and I feel like I do the same thing I did like when I was in college. Like in terms of like I work out, I train people. Like you know, it's it's just the life. Yeah. But it's like I get paid for it. Whereas, like, if I was a history teacher, I think that would have, like, made my life so, like, regimented and just, like, punch in, punch out. Like, I don't even want to think about how I would how I would be right now. Age doesn't exist when you're an internet entrepreneur. <laughs> Dude, I, I'm, feel, I'm feeling the youth, Kevin. <laughs> that you found this can be either, like, coaching for you, Kevin, and, like, your business or throwing career. And, Mike, you'd probably stay with just the throwing career. But something that was, like... A really big mistake that you made and then when did you realize it was like oh, I probably shouldn't have done it that way or probably should have went about it this way and like how did you make that correction damn this thing lagging does it come out for you guys a little bit yeah yeah we just got you back I, I, I heard that but it was a little wonky but uh, I, I can answer that first, Mike. Mike, did you hear the question? Um, yeah, the basic question was just like, what's the uh, big mistake that, I, for me, it's kind of maybe not necessarily a mistake, like straight up mistake. But when I started Javelin Anatomy on Instagram, my goal was to make it a, a full-time business, right? Like my goal was to be like an internet entrepreneur and like actually make money doing Javelin coaching, what I love to do. Um, but my perspective when I started it was I'm a javelin coach who's on Instagram, but over the last year, I've totally reframed that perspective of if, if you want to be at the highest level of, of what you do, you need to take the business side of things super, super seriously. And I've kind of reframed it as, okay, like whether I like it or not, I'm an, I'm a, I run an Instagram business that's focused on javelin coaching. And in shifting that perspective with uh, just kind of how I, how I make content, how I talk to people, you realize that everything in business is just communication. And by learning about just how to communicate better and how to um, just create better content and better or like offers, just giving um, better options for athletes to like work with me in, um, I started getting better results with my throwers and with everybody doing mobility ability. And it's been really cool to see just how it's like when you level up one area, you level up everything that you really are only as strong as your weakest link. Um, so for me, I would definitely say that's like the biggest thing is just learning how to like 
just how to be the best coach possible. It's kind of come with a reframing of, of perspective a little bit. 